this. Find uh, the book of James in your Bible near the end of the New Testament. Uh, tap your way over there if you need to. Just get James chapter 1 in front of you and we'll be picking up in verse 22 here in a bit. Now, just as a reminder, because you've had a week off, the, the last thing that we learned from James was to put away all wickedness and to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. Uh, and this week, we are encouraged towards the fruit of what grows from God's word being implanted in us. That you and I, and all who Jesus gives the gift of faith, that, that, that we are to become doers of God's word. In other words, the implanted word gives life to the doing, right? That's the order. Don't ever get that mixed up. Uh, and, and today we're finally going to finish chapter uh, 1, but we're beginning in verse 22. So if you will, follow along with your eyes and your own uh, scripture on a screen or a Bible in front of you. And uh, let's read. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. <clears throat> the grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, be ever gracious to me. Let a ray of your light penetrate the darkness of my understanding. Grant me clarity and understanding and proclaiming the truth of your word and and may you edify your church, your covenant people, through, through the preaching of your word and the hearing of the word, the believing of the word this morning. We ask that you grab hold of our hearts and you change what needs to be changed through your word and the power of the spirit. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so as Christians, we live, uh, we, are, we are people of the word. You ever heard that? That we are people of the word, right? That the scriptures are, are how God reveals himself uh, beyond just general revelation of creation. When we open up our, our Bibles here, right, the, the Bible is where we learn that we are sinners and, and that God is holy. It is where we learn about sin entering into the world, right, to explain why indeed we are born as sinners. It's where we learn about Jesus being born in human flesh. It is where we learn about the cross and the empty tomb and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we have. These Words are instruction for you, instruction for all of your entire lifetime. And, and pastorally, I long for you to be in the Word. I, I love that you're here sitting under the preaching of the Word, but I, I long for you to be reading it far more than just on Sunday morning. I long for you to, to, to hide these precious words in your heart through, through familiarity, through memorization, right? I, I long for you to be hearers of God's Word on a regular basis, and yet hearing His Word is, is not all that God desires for His children we learn here. It's not, it's not the end game. In, in other words, Sure, one problem is that we don't listen to God's word enough, right? But, but a whole other problem is, is, is that we only listen to God's word. That it fails to go beyond that. 
And, and so right from the start here in this passage, we see James is concerned about something, right? He's, he's writing to these Christians and he's really concerned about something. He is concerned that they, that you, that we and I, we might be deceived. <clears throat> he's concerned that you might think that because you regularly do hear God's word, because you are familiar with God's word, because you agree with it intellectually, that you may also think that just knowing God's word, that's the goal. There's nothing else. And he says if you only hear God's word and you don't seek to obey God's word, then then you are actually deceiving, not, not others, you are far more terrifyingly, you are deceiving yourself. You see, it's possible for you and I to deceive ourselves, to deceptively think something like this, you know, you know what, I go to a good church, right, there's solid expositional preaching each Lord's Day, or, or to think, you know what, I can explain the gospel, I've been able to do it forever, or I, I can win theological arguments with people about God's sovereignty and soteriology or all kinds of other big words, right, because I can confidently engage in apologetics, evidentialism, or presuppositionalism, right, because I can quote 50 verses or whatever it might be to, to now think that those things are the same as obeying God's word. Sinclair Ferguson says we often expand this even beyond theological ideas. He says some people seem to be able to talk just as confidently about uh, how the church should be shaped, what political agenda Christians should follow, and a a multitude of other subjects, you name it, and they have an opinion on it. And and the deception is is this, that that we think that because we know, because we we know, because of of what we agree with, that, that somehow that's the mark of Christian maturity. That we're arriving at what God desires of us simply by knowledge. And James is saying here, don't deceive yourselves like that. Don't just, don't just hear and understand the word, right? That's good. That is, that is a first step. But don't, don't stop there. Be shaped by it. Be moved by it. He, he wants us to become doers of God's word. And this is not a new idea for James. It's not something he's like, oh, you know what, by the way, first time in the Bible this has ever been mentioned, right? You, you notice our affirmation of faith today, right? We read uh, what, what's called the Shema. If you don't know that, Shema is just that Hebrew word for, uh, for here, and it's called that because those are the first words of Deuteronomy 6.4, which is what the Shema is, right? Uh, Hear, O Israel, and then it continues on. But, right, so there's the hearing of it, the, the, the hearing of God's word, the listening to it, the knowing it. But did you also notice that it moves from hearing to a command to act in love? Most action. And, and if you continue in Deuteronomy, you'll, you'll find in the next chapter in 7.12 this, right? Because you listen to these rules, right? It's all still in the same different, same idea. Because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them. That's where he goes there. Or, or, or did you notice how obeying follows hearing in Isaiah 2.3, the, the passage I read right before our service today, right? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. There's no period there. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. You see, the hearing of God's word leads to actually change to a different way of of going. How many of you are familiar with the word orthodoxy? Right? Big word. Probably not on your SAT. Um, Right? It means to believe correctly. But, But do you know the other word that's similar, right? Orthopraxy? Also, it won't be on your SAT. 
Uh, orthopraxy means to act, to behave, to actually do correctly. Those are similar, related, but, but a little different, right? Verbally affirming that lying is sinful, right? That's orthodoxy. That's a right belief. But actually not lying because God commands you in his word not to lie, that's orthopraxy. So to make this simple, we might say that, that doing is just as important as, as knowing, right? It's the fulfillment of really knowing, really believing, really hearing God's word. Uh, one of our delightful daughters uh, is absolutely certain that she is lactose intolerant. Uh, her body's confirmed it over and over. She doesn't question whether this is a true fact or not. Uh, she knows it intellectually, and yet she drinks whole milk. She drinks ice cream, and she suffers for it over and over, right? You see that breakdown between uh, hearing and the actual doing of something here, uh, right? You, you know this. You, you ever seen a, a doctor outside of his office smoking a cigarette? And you're like, what is going on there? right? Knowing it's bad for you is one thing, but actually stopping smoking because of that, that's, that, that really kind of, do you really believe that? How bad do you think this really is? Or, right, just, just watching workout videos sitting on your couch has never gotten anybody in shape ever. I, I hear stories, people tell me, right, they listen to Dave Ramsey. I don't know a whole lot about him, so don't hold me to that. Um, right, but they're like, I got out so much debt by doing these things he said. No one ever got out of debt by just listening to Dave Ramsey, though, I'm sure of it. Not doing anything. Now, someone once told me, we really only believe the parts of the Bible that we actually obey, right? If, if that's so, how, how much of God's word would you say you really believe? Jesus, uh, our Lord, in Luke 6, 46, speaking to the same subject, he says, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, right? That's like... I, I obey you. I submit myself to you. You are my Lord. But then don't do what I tell you. I mean, anyone hear those words and just find a heavy weight of conviction there? Now, I, I think you already know this, but the only proper response to hearing God's word, really hearing God's word, is, is obedience to God's word. Right? And don't wrap this up where we're getting all stuck on, okay, what's the least I can do and have be saved kind of thing, right? I'm saying, what is the reasonable, what is the obvious, what should be the response of God's people, redeemed, filled with the Holy Spirit, hearing His Word, understanding His Word? It's obedience to His Word. Now, in verses 23 and 24, James paints an interesting picture. Uh, he paints this picture, right, of a person that hears God's word, a hearer of God's word, but who's not a doer of God's word. And that person, he says, he's like some guy who goes and he looks in the mirror and he sees himself, looks intently at himself, and then he walks away and, and forgets what he was like. Now, I, I read that for many years in my life, and James has a number of these things, and I'm like, I don't know, what is that? Just, I got to keep going. Right? You don't know exactly because... Who forgets what they look like after looking into the mirror and you're looking intently at yourself? Right? I don't, I don't look at myself in the mirror and go get a cup of coffee and come back and, you know, look at myself in the mirror and go like, oh my goodness, I'm a middle-aged white guy. I had no idea, right? When did this happen? Now, and so it kind of confuses us when we read this because that's not what's happened. Let me explain this um, from a story from this week. Just equally, got to throw both daughters under the bus. Um, for some reason, our, our youngest daughter can't seem to eat anything without it getting on her face. And I don't mean like around her lips, which is normal. I mean her face, all over her face. Uh, and if you don't know, she's, she's not four. She's 13. <clears throat> so the other day, it might have been this week even, she, you know, one of us sees her in the kitchen and, and we're all in there and go, hey, Berkeley, you have chocolate on your forehead. Eventually we're like, go look in the mirror. 
And, and I'm not talking like a little speck where you have to look at it. It's, it's a big old humongous glob on her forehead. No idea how it got there. And, and so eventually she does that. She goes, she looks in the mirror, uh, right? And none of us followed her there, but we know she went and looked in the mirror and she returns and she just kind of goes back to what she's doing. And after a while, I notice that she still has this, this chocolate on her forehead. And, and so it said something along the lines of, what, what is, what's, why? Why, why didn't you wipe the chocolate off your forehead? Right, because that is the most obvious response to looking in a mirror and seeing a big thing of chocolate, right? A, about the size of a candy bar, it wasn't that big, right? Stuck to your forehead. How in the world do you see that and go, oh, okay, you could walk off, right? She, she didn't have an answer, probably, you know, typical youngest. Um, anyway, that's the, the type of situation that James is getting at in this illustration, right? Be, that you look in the mirror, you see something wrong, something you need to fix, your hair, whatever it might be, and then you just walk away and don't do anything about it, right? And, and he says this because God's word, in, in, in one sense, works like a mirror for our souls, for, for our hearts, for our, our thoughts, our, our behaviors. It, it shows you sin in your life that sticks out like that big old glob of chocolate on your forehead, right? Or if you're a normal person, maybe you think of it like food in your teeth, something like that. Uh, and, and, and James, and, and so, you know, here we're, we're seeing that's what it kind of reveals to us, right? I mean, a couple weeks ago, we were reading in James, right? He said uh, to be slow to anger. Right, that's a command that's from God's word. He's teaching us there. And if you're someone who tends to blow up quickly in anger, that passage in James, it, it's like a mirror to you. You're like, all right. You know what he's talking about? That's, that's a sin I struggle with. It's showing me my behavior. Now, again, you'd never look in the mirror and see food stuck in your teeth and just walk away doing nothing. You know, I'm going to go throughout my day with this thing. Uh, but most people wouldn't. But, 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 you know, just forgetting it there. But when Scripture reveals your, your sin, right, you should also never just walk away and do nothing about it. Like, oh, it's just, a, I don't know, something in my teeth. I'm, you know, just sin in my life. Who cares? And, and so really James's point, once you understand that what's going on here is quite simple, and it's that, that God's Word should lead us to actions, to adjustments, to corrections, right? That we actually become doers in the same way that, that the mirror drives us to become to doers and that, that change, Right? Now, let me say this from the start. Because God says so, right, that's a, a phrase you don't find in Scripture, but because God says so should be all the motivation you and I need to be obedient to the Lord. That's it. And, and yet, if you look at verse 25, we, we're going to see another motivation given here. Blame, uh, blessing, not blaming, blessing, right? And, and, and James summarizes the, the sort of person who he says is going to receive this blessing. That is the person who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and is a doer and not just a hearer of the word, that there's some blessing that comes with us. Now first, James is using that phrase, uh, perfect law, as a synonym for, for all of God's word. Every genre, every book, all of scripture is what he's talking about. And, and, and how exactly does the doing of God's word become a blessing to you is, is the question, right? Well, for, for one, you, you remember earlier, not, I hope so, it was just a minute ago, right? I read in Luke 6.46 <clears throat> where Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. And, well, Jesus goes on, right? The verses that follow this tell the story about two different men. He makes this, this comparison. And, and one man represents hearing God's word and not doing it. And he says he is like someone who builds their house without a foundation. And, and the man is swept away when the flood comes. Why? Because there's no foundation to hold it in place. Now, the, the, the other man represents uh, hearing God's word and obeying it. And he says, Jesus says he's like someone who builds their house on a rock-solid foundation. And when the floods come, and the, the house remains, it goes on. 
Now, the, the one who hears God's word and obeys God's word is the one who truly believes and trusts in God, right? And so when the suffering, you want to think about the floods, right? When the suffering comes, the persecution, maybe the cancer diagnosis, the car accident, the relationships issues, the lost jobs, any other thing that you're going to label, right, as difficult times, struggling times, that that man's faith will remain because he has built it on a solid foundation of genuine faith. And genuine and strong faith, solid faith, built up, right, is, is a precious blessing. It's one that James pointed us to in the opening section of this, this chapter as well. Now, we, we learn another way that, that being doers of the word is, is a blessing by, by considering that other term, right? The, the one term is uh, uh, the, the law of liberty there. Verse 25, you see it, right? The perfect law and the law of liberty is referring to God's word. Now, the law of liberty, that might sound like an oxymoron to, to a lot of people, right? Because laws, because rules, those don't feel much like freedom. Those feel like not freedom, right? What, what James is saying here is that the law is the source of freedom, okay? The source of liberty. And in one sense, the, the law, God's word, is, is a source of freedom <clears throat> because the law shows you your sin, it shows us our need of a Savior. It drives us to Christ because there's no place else to go. It drives us to the one place that we can be set free from sin, forgiven from sin. Then, as those who are redeemed, who are set free from sin, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can see what a blessing obeying the law is for us. We're going to view it differently, and I'm going to give you a few reasons why. But first, right, our culture's idea of freedom has, has honestly made it very difficult for us to understand passages like this because we have so accepted their definition of what freedom, what liberty is, okay? Our, our culture's idea um, is, is very different. Uh, freedom in our culture is the absence of restriction. That's it, right? You should be able to do whatever you want to do, um, that you should be able to do anything without any restrictions, that's freedom. And, and the law of God restricts freedom in that sense. There are certain things that God calls you that you cannot do, you should not do, right? However, a biblical view of freedom is, is not the absence of restraint, but rather the presence and submission to proper restraints. And I'll try to explain the difference here, right? Now, uh, according to our cultural Western view of freedom, you might say that a fish is constrained in living because he must live in water. Right? That restricts his freedom. He is not free to go walk down paths and climb trees or, or things of that nature. You know, he should be allowed to do that. Why in the world are we restricting him to this? But what happens to the fish on land? The fish can't breathe. Don't tell me about that weird Asian thing that walks across there. I'm talking about just a normal fish here, right? And the fish, fish can't breathe, right? And why can't he breathe? Why is that? Well, he wasn't made to live out of the water. It's not the way he was designed. That he must stay in the water is certainly a law of sorts. But if he does obey, if he does stay in the water, right, that's the place where this fish can really flourish. And I know, it's a weird story, right? My point is this. You are creatures created by God, created in his image. And, and there are ways of living that might feel incredibly restrictive to us when we get into reading God's word and understanding it. Like the fish in water feels restrictive, but it is actually the, the, the way you were made to live. 
And, and thus, o- obedience to God's word will bring blessing, can bring flourishing for you, for, for everyone who follows it. And I say that, we, I say that so you must learn, like, we, we have to learn to think different about God's law, and, and here's why. Did, did, did you know, maybe this is going to be a shock to you, um, that there is a, children are not allowed to play kickball in the middle of I-70. You know you'd be breaking the law if you did that. You can go try it. Um, and yet, have you ever heard any outrage about this? Ever? Right? Nothing. No one's ever going against this, right? Why aren't politicians working to get our children this freedom, this right to go play kickball in the middle of I-70 except cars are driving by 75 miles an hour? And the reason no one's challenging it is it's a good law. It's a perfect law. It makes sense to all of us. That'd be a horrible idea to go play kickball in the middle of I-70, right? It's for our good, and everyone can see that so clearly. You kind of see what I'm saying here is this, that, that, that every law that God gives is like that perfect law. It might not be as clear to us. It might not be as obvious to us. It might not be that everyone on the planet agrees with this, right? But, but do you know that, Christian? Do you know that your Heavenly Father, who's gone to great lengths to redeem you from your sin, that's created you, understands you, knows how you're going to flourish, do you understand that every law that He's given in His Word is for your good? The fish might not be excited about being limited to the water, but if he could think like you can think, he'd see that obeying this was going to bring blessing. God's, God's word, his, his law, is, is liberating to us. It gives us freedom because it's so perfectly suited for human life. It, it really is. And, it, and his laws, they're not arbitrary. They're not just weird things, right? To, not designed to rob you of enjoyment or, or pleasure or flourishing. They are for your good. They are for your freedom. We have this little chihuahua. His name's Goonie after the 80s movie. He's seven pounds, has an underbite. It's kind of weird. Uh, the kids did a great job when he was a puppy. He's one of those COVID puppies where your parents were making horrible decisions and getting dogs. Um, and anyway, they did a good job training him, his obedience. And, and we've seen like his understanding, his willing to obey has really brought great freedom to him. He goes on walks with the kids. He goes on jogs with the girls. He doesn't wear a leash. It looks ridiculous. A chihuahua jogging with people if I've ever drive past him, right? But, but even though we don't have a fence, he gets to hang outside. If we're outside, you know, he just, come on, go on. We'll let him out the front door. He'll run to the neighbor's house and see his friends over there, and they'll send him back later, and he'll bark, come in. He's got all these freedoms, and it's simply because of, of his obedience, right? Our, our, our neighbors liked Goonie so much that they got their own puppy from the same breeder, uh, only he's not been trained well yet. Um, he's not learned obedience yet. He'll, he'll run off into the street. He'll put himself in, in dangerous situations. And so the only way to handle that is to actually put him on a leash or, or keep him in the backyard on a, behind a fence. Now, when, when we taught Goonie to obey, to be a, a doer of our words, you might say, uh, it, it was for his good. It's for his safety. It's for his, his freedoms, greater blessings in that sense. And again, it's the dog, right? But he probably would have never believed that. Why do you make me do this stuff? Why do I got to do what you say? You know, that'd be kind of the way he thought through those things. And, and yet these blessings that come from that. Now, uh, again, re- remember this. Every command that God gives you is for your good and for his glory. Now, there are other blessings that come from obedience to God's word. Um, I'll, I'll give you one and then try one example, and then I want to explain it in a wider sense for you, right? As, as restrictive as sex being limited to marriage might sound to our modern ears, and often is to people in the culture around us. I, I've always found it incredibly interesting that submitting to God in, in this 
gives the blessing of never having that pregnancy scare or fear of picking up STDs. In fact, STDs couldn't even spread, right, if that was not a thing. And, and, and that's a weird thing, right, a blessing of, of obeying God's law. And again, that's one little example. Uh, but take that. Take that and apply it to every other law, every other thing that we see God commanding us to in his word, right? Do not lie. Honor your mother and father. Speak the truth in law. Do not love money. Whatever it might be. And I, and I challenge you to look at those things and begin to consider, okay, Maybe you never thought of it this way, but, but what are the blessings that come from that? What are the blessings by submitting myself under the Lord and his perfect law here? Okay, so our, our last two verses today, James, here James is giving us three examples of, of those who are doers of the word. And, and the first example is presented from a negative perspective, right? He, he says this, you can see it in front of you. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now this, this bridling of the tongue that ties into what we saw earlier in the passage, actually two weeks ago when we were in here, right? Uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, right? A, a bridle, if you don't know, it's not like a bridal shower. A bridle is this, I don't know how to explain it, like headgear for a horse. Is that the right way to explain it? Yeah, nailed it. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, so it's this headgear that, that controls where the horse goes. Uh, and, and here it's about having this self-control in regard to our, our speech. And this is not about like words our current culture has decreed as cuss words. Like that's not what's going on here. This is something far more deeper than that. Right? If your words are, are spoken or, or typed, if your words are habitually, unrepentantly cruel and self-righteous and untrue and arrogant and destructive, if they're lacking in grace and full of gossip and deception, if they're dripping with bitterness and hostility, right? If these are the words coming out of your mouth, then, then James is saying, you know what? Your religion is, isn't worth much. It, it isn't worth anything because it's not real. Now again, we're talking about a spectrum here. I'm not saying the second anything comes out of your mouth that is ungodly, like, oh, you're an unbeliever. That's not what I'm getting at, right? We're seeing this habitual way of life. If, if you're not being changed at all by the word applied by the Holy Spirit in your life, something's not right. And in here, in this area, James is essentially saying this. He's saying, you might want to measure your faith by what confessions you agree with. Right? You might want to measure it by what denomination you are a part of, but, but instead, let me just sit back. Let me listen to how you talk to each other. Let me listen to how you, how you speak about each other. Let me listen to what you say to your sister, to your brother, right? to your child, to your mother. Let me listen to the words of your mouth, and I'll tell you what your relationship with the Lord is actually like. Right? These are the things that come out of our heart. That's what he's getting at. He says an unbridled tongue is a sign of a self-deceived heart because it's a sign you're, you're not actually following the Lord. And again, I'm not saying the second anything comes out of your heart, but when you start to see that, you know, are you, are you growing in the Lord in that area or not? The, the second example James gives is in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Why widows and orphans? Um, because they're particularly vulnerable. Particularly at this time, there's no state welfare system. There would not have had savings, right? They've lost the people that provide for them in their life. And these people, these are people also who aren't able to pay anything back, right? It's not like they need a loan, right? And so any generosity to them is just pure kindness. You have nothing to gain by, by serving these people. There, there are so many Old Testament passages that speak to this. I'll, I'll just give one, Exodus 22, 22. 
uh, God says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child, right? Widows and orphans. God cares for those who are truly needy, both for their spiritual needs and their physical needs, body and soul. And, and as the children of God, we too are to care for them in the name of our Father, to, to really do so. Now, here's the little details I want you to notice here. He, he, he doesn't say that you should think about widows and orphans. Like, that stinks. I think I'm done here, right? He doesn't even say that you should throw money at an organization that's going to go and, and serve them. Not that that's wrong. That's a wonderful thing, right? But, but he calls you and I to actually visit widows and orphans. For, for us to have a relationship with them. There's something deeper going on there. Not, not just throw money at, right? But to know them, to care for them, to, to relate to them. Uh, in, in a parable that Jesus tells in, in, in Matthew 25, 40, and in this parable there's a, a king, and Jesus is clearly, the king represents him, right? And, and Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. And, and his whole point is this, is when you care for those in need, when you care for those who, who can't care for themselves, those who are vulnerable, uh, when, when you show love to them, you are showing love to God, to your Father and Heavenly Father. During our, our first year in, in Manhattan here, a friend of Laura's down in Texas, Laura Cooper, which confuses, their names are too similar. Uh, anyway, she made this, this comparison that we just had not seen of, of James Call. I guess she was in James at the time reading uh, about to call and, and to go visit widows and, and orphans. And she said, that's a lot like ministry in Manhattan. And my first thought was, no, it's not. Um, not in the usual sense anyway. She, she pointed out that, that army wives are a little like temporary widows when their spouses, their husbands are, are, are deployed. And, and also that college students are a little like orphans for the months that they are away from their families for the first time in their lives, trying to, to function on their own. Uh, and, and it's always stuck with me, that, that comparison, not because it's the same, not because you should do this instead of actual widows and orphans, right? But, um, but it's stuck with me because it, it made me think, okay, how do we seek to, to learn all the ways that we can obey this call to visit widows and orphans? You know, who, who are the people that are, are in need around us that we know that we relate to? And, and so then the, the final example of a, a pure and undefiled religion is to keep oneself unstained from the world. And you could spend a lot of time here, and we will later. Um, in, in, other, in other words, right, the, the world here, and you've got to understand by, by the world, what, what we mean here is the philosophical ideas, the, the behaviors, the values, the ethics of the culture that we live among. Right? Surely you've, you've picked up on this. They're a little different. Maybe you've noticed that, right? Those values of the world, they're going to change, and often they're going to be very different from God's word, from what he has called us to believe and to do. And, and, and so the call here is that you and I must be committed to God's values, God's ethics, as they are revealed in Scripture, not as they are commonly maybe known within Christianity, but what God reveals in his word. Even when, especially when, it makes you feel like an outsider. You're going to feel like a weirdo if you hold to God's values. You just are. Figure that out. Get used to that. That is your life. In some cases, you are actually now going to be viewed as evil because you will not celebrate things that God has called sin. That's okay. You can sit in that. Right? Your, your, your faithfulness is to the Lord and His Word. And you don't have to go on some crusade and condemn everything all the time, right? I'm not asking you to be that person either, right? But you can hold to God's views. You can hold to his values, and we must. 
The, the point is, don't adapt to the world's value system, which is based on wealth and power and autonomy and selfish hedonism instead of God's word. Don't expect them to come in line. It's just not happening. Now, now the next three chapters we'll, we'll, we're going to cover in, in James, I'll, I'll tell you this, they actually are, are the three things that he's just touched on here, only they're going to be in a lot bigger detail, right? Chapter two is all about our attitudes towards the poor, partiality, and we'll get into that next week. Chapter three is all about how we use our words in a godly manner. And chapter four is going to warn us against worldliness, right? Um, and so then the clear and obvious application of this passage, and I hope you can see it from here already, right, is to be a doer of the word, that that's what we want to be, that we will hear God's word, that we'll read God's word, and then we will actually seek to obey it, right, to obey the Lord. And again, not so that God's going to love you, right, but because he already does. And, and one of the ways we apply this then, right, is that I want you to begin to measure the effectiveness of your listening to sermons, even right now, right? And, and you're participating in Bible studies, and, and you're getting up and, and getting into the Word in your daily devotions, right? I, I want you to come to those and not think simply, did I learn something new I didn't know? That's not the main question, right? But, but rather, it, 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 whether your attitudes, your, your behaviors are becoming more in line with God's authoritative law, his word. Begin asking if you're, if you're study, in your studies, what, what does this mirror that I am reading, that I am looking into, what, what is this revealing about who I am? What is this revealing about my, my, my struggles, right? How, how should this passage then affect my thinking, my speech, my attitude, my actions, and, and so on? What, what is any given passage asking me to believe or to do? And again, not, not, this is not so that God will love you. All of this is because God has loved you, does love you, Christian. Because you have been set free from the shackles of sin. Because you believe this is, this is for your good, you're flourishing. Because you're actually indwelled with the Holy Spirit and the power for this. And so let us, let us not only be hearers of God's word, not only hearers of God's word, but also to be doers of God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, empower us to live in light of the gospel, to declare this hopeful truth with our words, to embody this life-changing truth through our actions. In other words, Lord, give us the grace this morning that we would be both engaged hearers and eager doers of your word, so that we may be blessed and you will be glorified. And Father, let us do so knowing that we sit under your, your mercy and your graciousness. Father, we don't come to you desperate to impress you. We, we just want to live your way because your way is, is beautiful and wonderful and honors you and, and for our good. And we want to flourish and honor you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.